Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Welcome everyone to episode number 70 from Delving into Islam podcast. This is your host, Wa'il. And it is a blessing from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and a privilege that I'm able to talk to you about the religion of Islam and that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is allowing me to share my knowledge with you. Thank you so much for listening and participating and sending in all your questions and suggestions. And speaking of which, if you have any questions or suggestions, please email me at delvingintoislam at gmail.com. Again, delvingintoislam at gmail.com and I will get back to you as soon as possible, inshallah. Now, this podcast is for, you know, anyone, whether you are remotely curious about the religion of Islam, or if you are for any reason studying Islam, or if you are thinking about becoming a Muslim, or if you just became a Muslim, or if you are already a Muslim who wants to learn more about Islam, this podcast is for you, inshallah. Now, with that being said, let's get right into today's topic. And today's topic is one of the controversial ones for some people. Now, let's let me remind you why uh, did we start uh, the podcast in the first place. Number one is to spread the truth about the religion of Islam, to tell people, to inform people about what Islam is all about. You know, to uh, uh, challenge and oppose those who are trying to ruin the image of Islam with false statements. Right, those who are trying to take certain things out of context and they present it to people who have no, you know, don't know any better, and tell them, "Hey, here you go. This is what Islam is all about." So we are challenging those people by, you know, spreading Islam and trying to tell people again, the, spreading the truth about Islam and telling people this is what Islam is all about. And that's why I started my podcast in the first place. Right, uh, number two. When the reason why we started uh, also this season, and I, I started, you know, uh, choosing specifically to talk about the, the the biography of Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam and talk about his life and certain aspects of. Of course, we're not covering everything, but we cover what we can, and you know what we can, you know, relate to in this world today. In today's world, the reason why the main reason why is for us, to, of course, to learn about the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam because we're supposed to. We have to as Muslims. And, you know, we have to follow his sunnah, so we need to know more about how he lived his life, but also uh, to tell people, address the controversies in his life that Islamophobes or people who are ignorant use those controversies, use those situations to tell you, oh, look at this prophet. Is this the guy that you're following? He's not doing a good job. He's, you know, he's bad or he's evil or whatever the stuff that they're claiming about Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam. And trust me, a lot of Muslims, whether they were, you know, people who, you know, grew up as Muslims or people who just converted to Islam, they come to me and they tell me, "Hey, so and so was telling me this about Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam and it's 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 very disturbing, right?" And Again, one of the main reasons why this season we're talking about, mainly we're talking about the biography of the Prophet is that to address those claims, those controversies, and to tell you exactly what they meant, right? So certain people are calling Prophet Muhammad you know, a warmonger. They say he always, he wanted blood. He always went to war with people to kill them and do so. Of course, we talked about this multiple times we actually had a couple of episodes talking about what led to the battle of badr right and that the muslims didn't want to fight but allah subhanahu wa ta'ala decreed fight upon them for many reasons to stop evil from spreading right to take back the rights right to because if they didn't stop it it was going to spread and they were going to eventually try to diminish the muslims 
So there were reasons. People, again, like we said, Muslims don't want to fight by nature. Especially Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu you know, he, he wanted to have a peaceful message. He was preaching. Remember, for those who, who say that Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu was spreading Islam by the sword, he literally walked on his feet to from town to town to preach Islam to people, and he was rejected. And, you know, violently he was rejected, right? Remember that, that incident of Ta'if. If you guys, you know, go back to that episode. So my point is, before we knew about this, we couldn't answer or we couldn't respond to those who say he's a warmonger. He loved war. No, he didn't. He never did. War, any battle that the Prophet ﷺ led or the Muslims, you know, were involved in was necessary. Back in the time, of course. You know, back in the day. Now, another thing that they called him is that he's like a, a thief. He used to attack caravans and steal money from him. And we, ta- we also addressed that on the podcast and we said the caravan that he attacked was had the money of the Muslims. Those who emigrated from Mecca to Medina and they left their money and the people from Quraysh, they took over the money. Technically, they robbed the Muslims from their wealth, you know, and their families and their homes and all these things. And it was time to gain to take back that money and send the message at the same time. We also addressed that. Right. There were a couple of things that people use to attack Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu because he's a human being, right? He's a, he's a, the most perfect human being. He's the best of mankind, but he's still a human being. You can easily attack him. Of course, some those people also try to attack Islam itself as a religion, but their attacking is very weak because number one, they take things out of context. Exactly like what they're doing with the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. They take certain incidents out of context and they present it to those who don't know any better. Same thing in, in you know in Islam, and we mentioned few, actually many, you know examples of taking certain verses from the Quran out of context and then manipulate them, you know, for their own you know political or you know gains or whatever. And that's my point. The Prophet ﷺ is more susceptible to criticism because he's a human being, you know, and he was the best of mankind. And we today we're going to address one of these controversies: the wives of the Prophet ﷺ. Like I said many times before, the Prophet ﷺ was the best of mankind. He had the purest of hearts. He had the perfect mannerisms for a human being. And that's why Allah chose him. Don't forget that for a second. If you have any issue, or if anybody has any issue uh, with the Prophet ﷺ or anything he did, even without it being explained to them, you have to remember that number one, Allah chose that person to be the final messenger. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala called Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam the best of mankind. Allah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala called the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam that he was sent as a mercy to all of mankind. Rahmatan lil'alameen. Do you think Allah made a mistake by choosing Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam? Do you think so? Number two, Allah, anything that the Prophet ﷺ did, marrying multiple wives, that had the approval of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah allowed it to happen. Right? Allah allowed it to happen. Are you saying that Allah shouldn't have done that? Think before you know you try to accuse the Prophet ﷺ of anything. Now, so today's episode we will address the wives and you know the 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 the, the, the we address the issue of Aisha. His, his, his third wife, uh, Aisha radiallahu anha, may Allah be pleased with her and her age, because a lot of people also called him a pedophile. Astaghfirullah. You know, a pedophile, because he married a young, a young girl, Aisha. 
And a lot of people, you know, uh, call them that he's a womanizer because he had so many wives, 11 wives in specific. Was Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu a womanizer? Was, uh, uh, was he a pedophile? Astaghfirullah, <laughs> this is crazy, you know, even thinking about it. And anybody who tries to tell you this as a Muslim, you have to think about one thing. Did Allah choose a womanizer to be the best of mankind, to be his final messenger? Did Allah choose a pedophile to be his final messenger, to be the best of mankind? Because if you, if your answer is yes, then you're insulting Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala by calling Allah that he doesn't have good judgment uh, you know, on people. Allah does not make mistakes like we do. Now, prophets and messengers, they do make mistakes, but it's out of innocence. You know, it's innocent mistakes. Right? It's mistakes that shows that they are inexperienced. That's all. But they don't commit sins. They're not evil. They're not bad. Like certain cultures and certain religions, you know, address them to be. Like they, they, they actually have problems with certain, you know, prophets and messengers. But we don't know. There are humans. We cannot put them in a divine, you know, status. They make mistakes, but they're all innocent mistakes. And Allah addressed those mistakes on the spot. The perfection, the ultimate perfection is to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We all know that. Nobody's perfect except for Allah. But who's perfect in terms of human beings? The best of mankind is Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa Then all the prophets. That's why Allah kept him, you know, till the end. For him to be the last, the seal of the prophets. So for some... Islamophobes, for some even Muslims who are ignorant to call him names, you are directly attacking Allah's judgment. You're saying Allah didn't know any better. He chose someone wrong to be, you know, uh, the final messenger. Be very careful. Be very careful. Now, let's talk about, you know, uh, uh, the wives of the Prophet and while we're talking about them, we're going to address one uh, quote-unquote controversy, right? One at a time. Um, now, the first thing that you guys need to know that Muslims, we call all the wives of the Prophet as the mothers of the believers. And every single wife is a mother of the believers. She is the mother of the believers. That's their nicknames. They are our mothers. And by the way, yeah, you can you you might find a Muslim calling, you know, Aisha radiallahu or Khadija or Zainab or he says our mother, our mother Khadija, our mother Zainab. This is totally normal because that's how we're supposed to address them, right? Now, why did Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam had eleven wives? Why did he have eleven wives? Was he a womanizer? Like I said multiple times, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the number one answer to that question is, Allah does not choose a womanizer to be his final messenger. You know, Allah does not choose his prophets and messengers to have certain flaws like that. No. Number two, Allah allowed it. Allah allowed the Prophet ﷺ to marry 11 wives. So for you to have a problem with that, you're having a problem with Allah's judgment. Now, as we all know that Muslims are allowed to marry up to four wives in, in, in a land like that allows that, right? So not like in the West here, it's, it's illegal. But like if you're in a Muslim land, you are allowed to marry up to four wives as a man, as a Muslim man. Now, here's the thing. Certain people will take that statement 
and they will get upset. Oh, this is disgusting. How can a man, and now we're not, not talking about the Prophet, we're talking about, you know, the Muslims in general. How could they marry more than once? Like they're cheating or what is happening, right? And some might take this to the other extreme and be like, oh, it's a free for all. I can marry up to four women and do whatever I want. Well, actually, the answer is in the middle. Always. It's always, you know, in the middle. Number one, for those, let me address those who get disgusted by it. And they're mainly women, and understandably so, because of jealousy. And, you know, they have a certain idea that a woman is objectified if she has, you know, um, if she, if her husband marries someone else and she has to, you know, be a second wife or a first wife to a second wife, right? It's understandable. But why is it understandable? Because we look at it from today's world, from today's perspective, right? Number one, you cannot say about something that Allah allowed that it's disgusting or it's uh, repulsive or it's something that it's just, you cannot describe it as this because you are calling something that's halal that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allowed certain you know muslims i mean muslim men to do you're calling it that it was a wrong decision by allah technically if you say that it's disgusting if you say that it's bad be very careful again do not make uh, our societal norms today ruin the relationship between us and allah don't let it think that you're better than allah's judgment because that's what you think when you think this shouldn't have been the case you number one you think that your judgment your standard is better than what Allah had allowed. So be very careful, my dear brothers and sisters. Number two, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allows things for a reason. He doesn't have to reveal all the reasons, but he allowed it for a reason. Number one, two, you know, like the, the, the number of women all over the world are incredibly more than the number of men. So a lot of women end up not getting married so that was one of the things to help women who wants to get married right now there there are rules and we'll get to the rules and you know there are conditions for a man to marry more than one woman but my point is no matter what happens do not say that it's haram do not say that i was not supposed to be because you're basically attacking allah's judgment number now let me address the other extreme let me address those who say, oh, this is nice. Be very careful as well, because guess what? The main condition that you are able to marry someone else is for you to be able to treat them fairly, equally. While you can feel something more for one than the other, that's fine if it's emotional and you don't show it. But you cannot show any difference in terms of treatment. If you do, you're sinful and you will be punished severely. Of course, unless you repent and you, you know, correct uh, your actions. So be very careful. Marrying more than one wife for those who think it's, you know, it's nice is not that easy. You have to be financially capable and treat them equally financially. Spend the same amount of time with them. That your, your kindness and how you talk to them and how you treat them has to be the same. If you treat one better than the other and you, and you show it in your actions, you are sinful. So it's not that easy. And 
Islam is not pushing us to marry more than one wife. It's not something that you have to do and you're going to get rewarded for it. It's not something that's, you know, that Islam recommends and pushes. No. It's a sunnah if you want to do it and if you can do it and if it's not going to cause problems between you and your wife, like your first wife, which I highly doubt that this would be the case that your wife would be like, ah, go ahead and go marry someone else. Right? You don't want a f- one of them to feel something. If you have a problem or issue with your wife and you can't live, well, try to fix the issue. But if you can't live with it, then divorce is halal too. Divorce is allowed in Islam. You know, and this whole fake hadith that people are saying, oh, the, uh, the, the most hated halal thing in the sight of Allah is divorcing. That's actually unauthentic hadith. It's not authentic in any way. Divorce is very allowed. There's a whole chapter about divorce. Now we're talking about if your life is impossible together. Right? Again, bottom line is marrying more than one up to four to to regular Muslim men, if you're capable, with the conditions of treating them exactly the same, is allowed. Don't say it's haram. Don't say it's repulsive. Don't say it's... Because this is something Allah let it be halal. You know? Like, for, for example, if, if I meet um, uh, uh, someone who's a vegan and they say, this is disgusting, you guys eating meat, and they're Muslim, and they say that this is haram, you're not supposed to eat meat, this is disgusting, whatever. The idea of eating meat is halal. You cannot make it haram. Allah allowed this to happen. Don't you dare say that this is repulsive and this is wrong because you're basically saying what Allah allowed shouldn't have been allowed. You know? Be very careful. Your own standard is one thing, and you generalizing that standard and you say this should be the case is another thing. You as a Muslim woman have the absolute right to not want your husband to look at someone else. This is by nature. You know, you don't want your husband to marry someone else. This is your own right, but you can't say it shouldn't be the case. Don't generalize it now. Allah allowed it. Say, I don't want it. I don't, I'm never going to accept that. This is your own right and you should, you know, be entitled to it. But don't say that this shouldn't be the case. Allah shouldn't have allowed that because now you're getting into, you know, a very dangerous territory. So let me go back because I don't want to go on a tangent. The Prophet ﷺ had 11 wives because number one, Allah allowed him to. Right? And number two, he's not actually the only prophet with multiple wives. There are many prophets, Prophet Sulaiman, up to 100 wives. Prophet Abraham, two wives that we, you know, we, we have the, the famous, you know, Hajar and Sarah. Famous stories. Many prophets had many wives. That's fine. If they're all happy, you know, and all 11 wives, by the way, they were incredibly happy. They felt the blessings of the Prophet They were extremely grateful that the Prophet is married to them. They were the most happy wives you can ever hear. And we'll talk about it. They were friends, actually. Yes, they had certain you know disputes and whatever. But eventually, they were friends. Again, that doesn't mean necessarily that you should be the same. I'm just saying, why are you mad when they were perfectly happy? Do you know why? Because you're projecting your own societal norm here today back 1,500 years ago. And you're saying this shouldn't have been the case. The Prophet ﷺ did not marry for lust. Because I know maybe some guys 
in today's world who want to marry more than once, they do it because, you know, for physical attraction or whatever. Or they're bored of, you know, their wives and they want to change. Not the Prophet ﷺ. Again, he is the best of mankind. The perfect mannerisms. You know, he married some for social and political reasons. You know, and some he married a normal marriage. The Prophet ﷺ, when he married Khadija, his first wife, he was what? He was 25 years old. Do you know how old was Khadija? She was 40 years old. 40. There was a 15 years difference between the Prophet ﷺ. He was younger than Khadija by 15 years. Is this the action of a man who wants to marry for lust? Marrying a 40-year-old woman? She was a widow twice before she married the Prophet ﷺ. He could have been like, and we all know, and we mentioned this before, the Prophet ﷺ was incredibly handsome. Allah gifted him an incredible looks. He was incredibly handsome. He could have chosen any girl, his age or younger. But he chose Khadija. She proposed to him and he wanted to marry her. Otherwise, he could have said no. So you tell me, do you think this is the action of someone who wants to marry for lust? While he was married to Khadija, he did not marry anyone else, by the way, until she died. She was his only wife. After the age of 53, so the Prophet ﷺ got to the age from 25 to the age of 53. After the age of 53, he started marrying other women. And we know all by science that after the age of 53, what happens? The older the men get, the less sexual, you know, uh, sexually ac uh, active they become. So he did not marry them for lust, right? Some of them could have been for emotional reasons. Some of them, like we said, social and political reasons. Here's the thing. Only two wives were below 36 years old. The rest were between 36 and 50 years old. And we'll get, well, I'm going to give you examples of, you know, the social and the political reasons, you know, with some of his wives. Now, so that's, that's a summary. That's addressing this whole multiple wives uh, issue that people have uh, a problem with. And again, like we said, it makes sense. Back in the day, that was totally normal. Allah allowed it. The wives were all happy. They were all, you know, incredibly happy, actually. There are multiple uh, a hadith and stories about how they used to actually talk to each other and get along and whatever. And we're actually going to mention some of that now. Uh, I mean, later on in the episode, uh, everything was perfect. But you, because you are here now in 2021, who ha you know you have a problem with how this this things should work or should it work? You're projecting it, and you say the Prophet shouldn't have done that. This is not a good action. This is not a good behavior. Who are you to say that when Allah Subhanahu wa Taala is saying this is totally fine and allowed? Now, let's get to the first wife of the Prophet which we mentioned, you know, briefly, uh, Khadija. May Allah be pleased with her. So she is the first wife of the Prophet She married him before he became uh, a prophet, so before Islam. And you know, she was a businesswoman. She was older than him. She hired him to run her business. He ran her business, so he didn't even need her wealth. He was already, you know, running her business. And then when she saw his characters and mannerisms, she said, I want to marry this guy. And she actually proposed to him. 
and he accepted because he also wanted to marry her. You know, uh, uh, after her death, someone came to him, uh, uh, like a woman who was to do, you know, arrange marriages and whatever. And she said, you know, it's time. You look very sad. You're upset. And we all know how much you love Khadija, but it's time to move on. You know, marry someone else. You need to feel more happy. So she presented him with two candidates, an elderly lady by the name of Sauda and a younger lady by the name of Aisha. So she said, which one you want to marry? So he chose Sauda. The elder, and by the way, Sauda was the oldest of all the wives. And he decided to marry Sauda. So Sauda becomes the second wife of the Prophet ﷺ. You know, after she converted to Islam, her family disowned her. They have disowned her because, of course, they were pagans. And no one wanted to marry her because of that. You know, her family, you know, uh, uh, kind of like marked her. And they said, you know, nobody should, you know, approach her. Nobody should, you know, marry her, whatever. So the Prophet ﷺ felt compassionate for her. He felt bad for her. So he proposed and he married her. That's an, that's, that's an, she was very old. And the Prophet ﷺ married her. Did he marry her because he was a womanizer? Obviously not. Now comes the third wife, which is Aisha radiallahu anha. May Allah be pleased with her, which is, she's technically the most famous of all the wives. Um, and after Khadija, she was the most beloved wife to the Prophet ﷺ, after Khadija. Now, here comes, I think, one of the biggest controversies uh, in the biography of the Prophet ﷺ, which is Aisha herself, the age of Aisha. Aisha was nine years old when the contract of ma- marriage was uh, written. Now, some of you might hear this and be shocked. What? Nine years old? The little kid? And someone might, you know, some, some of you might, you know, know that already. They just maybe don't know what are the circumstances and what happened. Now, let me address this. And let me, I just I want to address one thing uh, before I address this, which is some Unfortunately, some Muslims who are ashamed of the age of Aisha, who are embarrassed to say that she was uh, nine years old when the contract of the marriage was written, they claim that, oh, no, 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 the scholars made a mistake. Some scholars said that she was 18. You know, <laughs> subhanAllah, very conveniently, right? The, the legal uh, age for marriage uh, here in the West so no, no, no. She was eighteen. She was. She was not. She was not nine. She was probably nine. You know, before. Uh, uh, you know, when he proposed. But when when they actually got married, she was eighteen, and all these things. And I know people actually claim that. Like I know them personally. But you have to understand. Number one, don't lie to uh, protect the religion. The religion does not need protection. The Prophet ﷺ does not need protection by lying. The Prophet ﷺ was the perfect in mannerisms, the perfect in behavior. That's why Allah chose him. He does not need you to lie for him. He does not need you to say, you know, false statements. And I'm not saying that they are lying. I'm saying maybe they listened to someone who was lying and it was convenient. So they believed it. Right. So Aisha was nine years old. Now, many people call this pedophilia. Oh, he was, you know, old. He was, you know, we said he was like, you know, older than 50 and above 50. And he married a nine year old. This is disgusting. Right? Okay. Let me address a few things first before uh, before we talk about this. Number one, 
and I mentioned this before, and I'm going to mention it again. Do you think Allah chose a pedophile to be the last messenger, to be the best of mankind, to be the one who would be the first to be resurrected on the day of judgment? I don't think so. Allah is all wise. Allah did not choose a pedophile. Okay, great. All right, sounds great. So what's the issue here? Well, the issue is very simple. We are taking our societal norms today in 2021, you know, in the West, and we are back projecting it 1,500 years ago in the Arab Peninsula and how the Arabs, you know, conducted marriages and, and so forth. The age of marriage has no standard anywhere, period. You know what, what, what is the standard? It's time. The standard changes. So there's no steady standard for age, you know, when it comes to marriage. In this country, in, in, in America, less than 100 years ago, the age of marriage was between 13 and 14 years old. The girl could have been 13 and she would have gotten married. Now it's illegal. You can't even do that here. It's illegal. Why? Because it's because of time. Time changes. This is a cultural thing, a societal thing. There's no standard for it. Different cultures and societies have different ages for marriage. You have to understand that. Number one. You know, when, when Shakespeare wrote Romeo, Romeo and Juliet, the actors who played the parts for the first time in the first play, they were 15 and 14 years old, and they had love scenes in, this, in the play. This is called child pornography now. It's illegal by any means here. Yet, that was normal before. Also, you need to know that in the past, people matured faster and they were treated like adults. Remember, we talked in the Battle of Badr about who? How old was the, were the, were the two kids who killed Abu Jahl? How old were they? They were 16 years old fighting in a battlefield and they killed the worst of the pagans. The ultimate enemy of Islam was Abu Jahl. He was killed by a 16-year-old. Well, two of them. Do you think a 16-year-old can go to war now carrying weapons and, you know, fighting in, in, uh, you know, uh, in, the f- in the front of the lines? Do you think so? Absolutely not. Because today's 16-year-old is different from 1,500 years ago's 16-year-old. Same thing for the 9-year-old. She was mature. She was able to have her own family. She was physically mature as well. Today... This is insane. You can't do that. It's Today is disgusting. You can't even do that. Why? People change. Physicality changed. Maturity changed. A nine-year-old is a little kid. We treat them like little kids. You know, we don't let them go anywhere by themselves. Like, you can't even do that. Because culture, physicality, maturity, everything changed from 1,500 years ago. Like if you marry, like again, like I said, here in this specific land that we live in, in the West, you a hundred, less than a hundred years ago, you could have married a thirteen-year-old, a fourteen-year-old. Now, if you do that, you go to prison. They're underage. Culture will always change the standard of certain things. From them is the age of marriage. Eighteen is the standard now for adulthood. Guess what? In many years later, it's going to be twenty. Or 21. And when you 
look in the future, those people who will have the norm as 2021 will look back at our society now who allows it for an 18-year-old and they'll say, this is disgusting. What? An 18-year-old is considered to be mature? This is disgusting. Could get married to someone when she's 18 or 19? This is disgusting. Why? Because standards change. Religion doesn't. Cultural norms change from time to time and from place to place. Children 1,500 years ago in the desert of Arabia had to adapt and age faster because they had to take on responsibilities, rough responsibilities because of the rough nature of the land. It was hot. You know, it was very rough. When it was cold, it was very cold. When it was very hot, it was very hard. They had to like, they, don't, they didn't work at offices. They had to do labor work. All work back then was labor work. Women and men who were young had to grow up faster and develop, you know, skills and all these things. For those who falsely try to defend the age of Aisha, why are you even doing that when Aisha herself never complained? She was the happiest wife in the world. She says this many times that she was the happiest wife in the world. Even after the death of the Prophet She never complained. She actually used to be jealous if he uh, if the Prophet married someone else because she loved him so much. You're defending Aisha when she does not need defending. She was already happy. What are you doing? Here's another thing. We all know that the Prophet ﷺ had so many enemies in the Arab Peninsula, right? Quraysh. They all called him names and accused him of things. Like what? They called him a magician, right? They said he's a wizard. He's not normal. They called him Majnoon. He's crazy. He's a madman. They called him that he's a poet. The what he's receiving is not Quran. He just has skills with poem. You know? None of them called him a pedophile. None of them attacked him when he married Aisha. Why? Because it was normal. It was understood. It was okay. It was totally normal. It was totally understood. Back then, things were different. Back then, things were completely different. Marriage was different. The customs of marriage were different. Everything was different. So nobody even for once tried to attack him when he married Aisha. Nobody tried to, you know, say, oh, look at this old guy marrying this young girl. It was never like that. She lived as a happy wife. Now, we're not saying that this is okay now. No, no, no. We're saying it was okay then. Now, it's a totally different story. Totally different story. If you do this now, yeah, you should go to prison, 100%. But back then, it's totally fine. Nobody even thought about the idea of this as being weird. But today, us, because we're, mashallah, so smart and so intelligent and, you know, so entitled to put standards for the Prophet ﷺ, oh, now we say, oh, that was wrong. He shouldn't have done that. How ironic. And by the way, this is coming from Muslims and non-Muslims alike. This is certain Muslims who don't know any better have the same problem with, you know, with the age of Aisha. Allah allowed it, my dear brothers and sisters. Do you know how the Prophet ﷺ had the idea of marrying Aisha in the first place? 
he had a dream and we all know that any dream that the Prophet or any Prophet would receive is a message from Allah. There's no random dreams. We have random dreams and nightmares and it could be from the devil, from shaitan when if it's a nightmare. Prophets and messengers only had in their dreams, it was only messages from Allah and signs. He had a dream, this is actually authentic hadith, that an angel, not Jibreel, another angel, brought him a bride. He was carrying a bride for him and then he delivered it to the Prophet ﷺ. And then when he looked under the veil who that bride was, it was Aisha. May Allah be pleased with her. That was before he proposed or anything. So when this happened, that means Allah is telling him this is going to be your wife. Allah gave him a message, a sign that this one is going to be your wife. What are you going to say now? This was Allah's decision, Allah's destiny, Allah's qadr. What are you going to say now? What are you going to say? This was a message from Allah that he should marry Aisha. This is going to be your wife. This is authentic hadith. Look it up. Criticizing our Prophet is not just criticizing Allah's judgment and criticizing the best of mankind. You're actually ironically criticizing your own grandparents and ancestors who probably got married at a very young age. Way younger than the standard today. You're criticizing your own family members who did that in the past. Times have changed now. Yes, today you can't marry a young girl like that or even close. I don't even think that you should marry an 18-year-old, which is legal, but I don't even think you should do that. But again, this is this is your own prerogative and my own you know, uh, opinion. But what I'm trying to say is now and today things are different. The girls are different. The men are different. Circumstances are different. So yes, but projecting that standard today, 1,500 years ago, that's totally idiotic with all due respect. It's not smart. You know? Now, so this was Aisha radiallahu anha. May Allah be pleased with her. So we address this controversy now. I hope now it's all cleared for those who attack Islam from that angle. Please, you know what to say and how to respond. And if you don't, they don't listen, then you already know that they're not willing to listen and not you know, willing to understand in the first place. Now, Aisha, just briefly, she was the daughter of Abu Bakr, for those of you who didn't know, who was the best, uh, best friend of the Prophet wasallam. So that's Aisha. She's you know, the most famous of, 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 the, uh, of the wives after Khadija. May Allah be pleased with all of them. Uh, comes uh, number four. Now she's number three, right? We said Khadija, we said Sauda, and we said Aisha. Now number four is Hafsa. And Hafsa was the daughter of none other than Umar ibn al-Khattab. Now her marriage story was very, very interesting. Now she was married at the age of 12, like we said, that was normal, uh, to a companion. Then uh, he died, and then she became a widow, right? Uh, when she became a widow, uh, Omar felt bad for his own daughter, right? So he basically went to uh, Uthman, Uthman ibn Affan, who was a very famous companion. He was known to be actually shy. Actually, there's a very interesting hadith about Uthman ibn Affan. The Prophet ﷺ said uh, uh, that the angels feel shy from Uthman because of his shyness. So the angels... Feel they feel shy from Uthman because of how shy he is as a human being, right? So anyway, that's just a very interesting fact about Uthman. So he went to Uthman and he sat with him and he said, "Oh, Uthman, this is Omar now. What do you think of my daughter Hafsa?" Now, 
when you say that to someone, it's basically understood that you're proposing on her behalf. You want that person to marry your daughter, right? So it was a known uh, tactic in terms of like trying to, you know, uh, offer your daughter to someone. So Uthman told him that he does not want to get married. He, he's like, let me think about it. Then he get back to him and he said, I don't think I want to get married right now. So I'm going to get a little offended. He, he became offended. He said, like, in, in him, for, for, of course, to himself, he said, what? Is this something wrong with Hafsa? Hafsa's like an incredible daughter. What, why is he not wanting to marry my daughter? Then Omar, after a while, goes to Abu Bakr. And he offers the same thing. He says, oh, what do you think of Hafsa? So Abu Bakr understands. So he said, let me think about it. But here's the funny part. Abu Bakr never gets back to him. So he feels even more offended now. What's happening? My daughter is the perfect Muslim. You know, she's the best daughter in the world. She's the best Muslim woman in the world. What is going on? You know, then uh, while Omar was, you know, upset and whatever, the Prophet ﷺ comes to him and he basically proposes to Hafsa. And it turns out that they both, Uthman and Abu Bakr, refused or politely rejected the offer because they knew that the Prophet ﷺ was planning on marrying Hafsa. He basically consulted them. What do you guys think of Hafsa? I know she's a widow now. And, you know, Omar, I love him. He's my close friend, you know, second best friend, let's say. And, you know, what do you think if I propose to her? And they all agreed, but they couldn't tell Omar because he wanted to ask them first before he goes and officially proposes. So that's why he didn't tell her father. Then he went and he officially proposed. And when he did so, uh, uh, Omar was incredible. Imagine you're going to ask Abu Bakr, who's an incredible companion, Othman, another incredible companion. They both reject you. You feel bad. And it turns out the best of mankind is proposing to your daughter which was the Prophet ﷺ. And the Prophet ﷺ, when he proposed, it is narrated that Omar was incredibly happy. And then Uthman came to him and he said, now you know why I said I can't marry because of this. And Abu Bakr came and he said, same thing. And if it wasn't, you know, uh, that the Prophet ﷺ spoke for her, basically, I would have definitely had the honor of marrying her. And again, he was extremely happy that he became the father-in-law, Omar, became the father-in-law of the Prophet ﷺ. Now, another interesting thing about Hafsa was what we know about Omar is he's very harsh in a very noble and a great way, right? He's he's tough. He's a tough character. He does not. He's not soft like Abu Bakr. Abu Bakr is soft. Omar is t- is tough. Remember, the Prophet made the comparison, and he said that Omar is more like uh, 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 Moses and Noah because they were tough when the people were rejecting, rejecting, rejecting. They made dua, Oh Allah. Just, you know, end all the disbelievers while uh, Jesus Christ and um, Jesus Christ and Abraham, they, uh, the Prophet said that they are, uh, Abu Bakr is like them because they are more soft and they always had, you know, hope and they never lost hope in, 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 in the disbelievers. They both are valid. They both are right. As long as you do your job right and you do everything, it is allowed to be a little bit tough because you're jealous because you love Islam so much and you can't stand the idea of disbelief. And it is very allowed to be soft and having hope always that people would come to Islam. So these they were the two opposites. And Hafsa took the harshness and the toughness from her father. So she it was reported that she had a sharp tongue. 
she was bold. She used to like, you know, respond back to the Prophet if she doesn't like anything and they used to argue a lot. And one time, uh, uh, she was, the Prophet actually uh, told her a secret. He told her a secret and uh, uh, she exposed that secret. We're gonna we're gonna get to like he he told her something. There was a secret, whatever, a mari- marital secret. There was something with the wives, and he told her that secret, and he told her not to tell anyone, but to rub it in Aisha's face. Now Aisha and Hafsa were like, "Hey, who's better?" Right? They were playing that game of who's better. They were not enemies or anything, but they were always competing. Uh, so Hafsa wanted to be like, "Hey, I know something you don't. Let me sh- let me tell you." And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala exposed them in the Quran. Now, they were not plotting against the Prophet, but Allah did not. This this is not a game. You basically, the Prophet trusted you with the secret, and you went and you told to Aisha. This was Hafsa. Right? And this mentioned in the chapter of Tahrim. This is literally in the Quran. In the chapter of Tahrim, verse number three. وَإِذْ أَصَرَّ النَّبِيُّ إِلَى بَعْدِ أَزْوَاجِهِ حَدِيثًا فَلَمَّا نَبَّأَتْ بِهِ وَأَظْهَرَهُ اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ عَرَّفَ بَعْضَهُ وَأَعْرَضَ عَنْ بَعْضٍ فَلَمَّا نَبَّأَهَا بِهِ قَالَتْ مَنْ أَنْبَأَكَ هَذَا قَالَ نَبَّأَنِيَ الْعَلِيمُ الْخَبِيرُ Now let me explain that verse. Allah is saying when the Prophet ﷺ وَإِذْ أَصَرَّ النَّبِيُّ إِلَى بَعْدِ أَزْوَاجِهِ even though he told her not to tell. It's a secret. <laughs> it's between me and you. And she did that to brag in front of Aisha, like, look, I'm, I'm better now. You know, like I have, I know secrets that you do not know. And when they both were like, not conspiring, but they seemed like, you know, they were talking about it. Oh, really? So he said that to you? Whatever, whatever, whatever. When this happened, the Prophet ﷺ decided to divorce Hafsa. He divorced Hafsa. Because she was, number one, not easy to deal with. Like we said, she took the, the, the toughness and the mannerisms from Omar. Omar was an incredible companion and a human being. But his daughter, she was, you know, tough, very tough. So the Prophet ﷺ always, you know, used to argue with her. Which shows you, by the way, the Prophet ﷺ is a human being. He's a human being. He has marital problems like all of us. Of course, on a different level, but still. So when he divorced her, here's the very incredible thing that happened. Jibril came down to him and he told him, take her back. Allah is telling you to take her back. She is sawama and qawama. She fasts and prays all the time to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and she shall be your wife in Jannah, in paradise. Take her back. This is incredible. Incredible. Allah is intervening in the Prophet's marriage. Allah saved her basically from being divorced from the Prophet. You know, take her back. Allah saying she is pious and righteous and she does it for the sake of Allah. I know what's in her heart and she shall be your wife in Jannah, in paradise. Same thing that the Prophet, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala told the Prophet ﷺ that Aisha shall be his wife. Of course, also in Jannah. And you know, in any time they, they, they fight and whatever, Omar used to always take the side of the Prophet ﷺ. What are you going to do? <laughs> Go against the Prophet ﷺ? And he knew also the nature of the Prophet ﷺ. was soft-hearted. You know, the Prophet ﷺ was not a man of trouble at home. All his wives attest, like all of his wives attested that. They said he was the softest man, whatever. Like he was very kind, very sweet. He always helped in the kitchen. By the way, for those of you, for the men who thinks they shouldn't help, 
because it's a manly thing to do. The Prophet ﷺ himself used to help in the housework. Kitchen, cleaning, whatever. He never felt that he was above that. There's actually authentic hadith by Aisha anha that she said, he helped us at home. Us meaning all the wives. That was his manners. That's, that's what he did. You know? So that is the very you know interesting uh, story about Hafsa. And, you know, regarding that incident, you know, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying that you cannot conspire. Now, Allah considered it conspiring because they were talking behind the back of the Prophet about that secret. You can't conspire against the Prophet And if you do, he can divorce you and marry someone who's better than you. This is in the Quran, in the chapter of Tahrim. Allah says, "Yubdilhu azwajan khayran min kunna muslimatin mu'minatin." Like to the end of the verse, He said, "Allah will replace you with better wives for the Prophet." Of course, this this was scary to them to, to you know to 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 find out that there was verses revealed about this, and Allah exposed them. It's Allah Subhanahu wa Taala. You know, and they apologize and whatever, and whatever happened, happened. And the Prophet, even though Allah was rebuking them, He also, Allah told him, What? Look at the subhanAllah perfection of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Take her back, even though Allah threatened them. He'll find it, I'll replace you. But when the Prophet went ahead and, and divorced her, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala told him, Take her back. She is a good person. She made a mistake, she's a good person still. Now, uh, number five, the fifth wife of the Prophet. Uh, was uh, someone by the name of Zainab bint Khuzayma. And by the way, Zainab bint Khuzayma is the the second wife to die in the lifetime of the Prophet So this is a trivia question. The two wives that died in the lifetime of the Prophet were Khadija bint Khuwailid, the first wife, and the fifth wife who is Zainab bint Khuzayma. Now, also Zainab was married to the Prophet very briefly. They were married for less than a year. Some say for a few months, a couple of months, and she passed away. You know, uh, uh, one thing that we know again, we don't have a lot of detail about Khuzayma because of you know the you know she was married to the Prophet for you know a very brief time. But uh, uh, what we know is that you know, uh, do you guys remember the duel in ba- in Badr in the Battle of Badr the, in the beginning of the battle? The uh, Ali, uh, the cousin of the of the Prophet Hamza, the uncle, and Ubaidah ibn al Harith. And remember, Ubaidah was wounded in that duel when Ali and 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 and, and Hamza came to help him. And uh, basically, uh, um, when he was wounded, uh, uh, he died later on after the battle. But he died because of the battle. So at the time, he was married to Zainab, and she became a widow after he passed away. So the Prophet ﷺ, you know, felt bad for her because she had no family members. She was nor for, neither from Mecca nor from Medina. She was from like a tribe called Banu Hilal. Uh, so it was a tribe that has nothing to do with Mecca or Medina. So she had nobody. So the Prophet ﷺ felt bad for her, and you know felt compassionate for her, and he basically uh, um, proposed to her, and she was you know happy, and she accepted you know the marriage proposal from the Prophet ﷺ, which shows you again the reasons why specific marriages of the Prophet ﷺ are meant to be you know compassionate and political and social and to make people's lives better, right? Not all the marriages because he fell in love and all these things, right? So just keep that in mind. Now we have number six who is Ummu Salama. Ummu Salama. We mentioned her before. Well, I'll remind you now. Her name is actually Hind. Ummu Salama means the mother of Salama. 
Now, do you guys remember in the beginning of the emigration, the beginning of the emigration, there was the first family that emigrated was someone by the name of Abu Salama and Umm Salama. And remember when Quraysh stopped them, the people of Mecca, they stopped them and then they took the kid and they told Abu Salama, the father, listen, you're not from Quraysh. You can go, go to Medina, but we're keeping our daughter and her son. And then his tribe came and took the son, Salama, you know, and then they said, you know what? We don't want to fight you. We're just going to take the son. We don't care about the woman. And then, you know, she was crying, not eating or drinking. And eventually they felt bad. They released her. She went and found her son. She took him. And then she met with Abu Salama when she went to Medina. We had a whole story about her. That is Ummu Salama. She, she is the number, number six in terms of the wives. And let's talk about her story. Her story is very fascinating, actually. Subhanallah. Her husband, Abu Salama, is the cousin of the Prophet ﷺ. We never mentioned that before, but now we're mentioning it. He was the cousin of the Prophet ﷺ. And by the way, Umm Salama and Abu Salama had a very strong marriage. It was like a love story, right? A halal love story, of course. In the Battle of Uhud, we're going to get to that battle later on. This battle happened after the Battle of Badr. Abu Salama was wounded very severely. And even though he recovered from his wounds, but he never fully recovered. Because a few months later, he actually passed away. But on his deathbed, Umm Salama comes to him. Look at how you know beautiful the relationship is. She comes to him. And then she tells him, I heard when a believer dies and goes to Jannah, to paradise, and you know uh, his wife never remarries after he dies, she'll accompany him in paradise, in Jannah. And the same thing for women. When a believer woman, her husband does not remarry, and you know she dies, and he never remarries, and then she goes to Jannah, he will also join her in Jannah. So look at this, she's telling him. So let's make a promise to each other. If one of us dies, the other won't remarry. Look at the profundity of this. She's basically telling him, "Don't worry, I'm not gonna, you know, get, I'm not gonna remarry after you." He's dying. He's on his deathbed. And she's telling him all this story. Oh, if one of us dies, she knows that he's the one dying, right? But she's trying to console him. She's trying to make him feel better. Subhanallah. Like, look at the beautiful mannerisms of Umm Salama. And she's telling him, hey, let's promise each other. We're not going to. She's basically telling him that I'm not going to remarry. Don't worry about it. Then he says, you know, will you listen to me if I ask you for, you know, something? She responds, of course. I will, you know, whatever you want. So he said, after I die, marry someone. And then he makes a dua to Allah. He makes a supplication to Allah. Oh Allah, bless her with a husband who is better than me. Now, what is amazing about this is very interesting. Abu Salama, back in the day, when they were still married and he was, you know, healthy and whatever, uh, he went back to back home to Umm Salama. And he basically told her, oh, I heard that there is a hadith that I heard, you know, by the Prophet wasallam, And basically in the hadith, there was a dua that was very, very profound. He said that when you are struck and hit by a calamity, hardship, something bad happens to you, say, and I'll tell you the, the, the dua, the, the, the supplication in Arabic, then I'm going to say it in English. Say, uh, inna lillahi wa inna ilayhi raji'oon. Allahumma ajirni fi musibati wakhluf li khayran minha. Oh Allah. Now, when something bad happens to you, this is the dua. To Allah we belong and to Allah we return. 
Oh Allah, give me something better than what I lost, basically. And the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ saying, if you do that, Allah will give you something better. So guys, my dear brothers and sisters, remember this hadith. In Arabic, it says, Inna lillahi wa inna ilayhi raji'oon. Allahumma ajirni fi musibati wa li khayran minha. In English, to Allah we belong and to Allah we shall return. Oh Allah, give me something better than what I lost. Whatever, this is when you lose something, you know, you lose a family member or you lose uh, your, your, your job or you lose anything. So you make this dua and the Prophet says that if you make this dua sincerely, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will give you something better. Now what's interesting is Abu Salama is telling Umm Salama this, you know, earlier, years ago. And it was as if it was a, a foreshadowing to what's about to happen to them. Because Umm Salama narrates and she says, when Abu Salama died, I instantly remembered that hadith. I instantly remembered that dua, so I made it. So I said, Oh Allah, akhlifni, you know, uh, Allahumma minha. But while she's saying this dua, she's saying, but who could be better? Because, you know, the dua says, give me something better. But in her mind, she's like, but who could be better than Abu Salama? And it shows you again the level of love that she felt. Nobody's better. Right? Then a while after, Abu Bakr comes to her and proposes to her. And she turns him down. <laughs> Imagine Abu Bakr, the best of the companions, comes to her and she has high standards. She's like, I'm sorry with all the respect, but no. Then, after a while, our Prophet ﷺ proposes. Even though the Prophet ﷺ, the best of mankind, is proposing, Umm Salama does not accept right away. So she sits down with him. And she says this. Now, she was known, by the way, to... Um, Salama known, she was known with her great wisdom. She was the wisest of the of the wives of the Prophet. You know? So she said, I'm very pleased and honored that you are proposing to me. This is such an honor. You know, the best of mankind. You are Prophet of Allah. So before I tell you yes, there are three things that you need to know about me. She, she's basically telling him, I have three rules, I have three issues. That you need to know about, and then you decide if you want to, you know, uh, go go ahead and you know uh, marry me or not. Number one, she said, "What? I'm a woman of jealousy, and you already have multiple wives. So look at look at her wisdom here. So I'm worried that my jealousy will act up and it will displease you, and ultimately, by displeasing you, I'll be displeasing Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala. I don't want this to happen. So again." She's saying that I, I'm, I'm a jealous woman by nature. I, I can't like, you know, I don't want you to, you already have multiple wives. You know, like we said, Umm Salama was number six. So basically, she was, uh, you know, telling him, yeah, I'm, I'm a woman of jealousy. So I don't want this to act up and then eventually I will deplete, displease Allah by displeasing you. He goes, okay. What is number two? She goes, number two is, I'm not a young woman anymore. I'm, a, I'm an older woman. So you need to understand that. You know, you're not, you're not marrying a young woman. He goes, okay. And what is the third one? He's, she says, I have four children. You're going to be marrying me, and I'm going to have four children with me. So, yeah, what do you think? Basically. 
So the Prophet ﷺ responds and says, As for the jealousy part, I will make dua to Allah to remove that from your heart. And actually it happened. She never once felt jealous from any wife of the Prophet ﷺ. Allah removed it, subhanAllah. This is incredible. Allah removed this jealousy thing from her. Then the Prophet ﷺ says, As for the age part, I'm afflicted with the same calamity as you. He was basically joking with her. I'm old as well. Like, subhanAllah, look at the sense of humor here. Um, I have the same disease as you. Don't worry, I'm not young either. As for your children, number three, as for your children, they are my children. So after that, they both got married. And, you know, uh, uh, she was actually one of the last wives to die. She lived a very long life after the Prophet ﷺ. By the way, there's one thing you guys need to know about the wives of the Prophet ﷺ is that they're not allowed to marry after he dies. And there is a very good wisdom behind it. Number one, they are the wives of the of the Prophet ﷺ, so they are in a different level from any other woman. So no one can just come and marry them. But above, but but most importantly, when a wife marries, let's say, two husbands, uh, the majority of the scholars say that she goes to Jannah with the second husband. If they're all going to paradise, she actually goes to paradise with this, the majority of the scholars. Some pe- some people say she chooses. Some people say. She goes with the second husband. Allah knows best. But if that's the case, then it makes sense that they all go to paradise again. Because if they remarry someone, they won't have the blessings of being the wives of the Prophet in paradise. So it's good for them that they don't marry anybody else because they want to keep that title that they are the wives of the Prophet Now, so that was, you know, uh, uh, Umm Salama. Now, Let's get to number seven. And number seven actually has the longest story. Number seven has the longest story because her story is, it's not controversial. I don't think it's controversial in any way, shape or form, but you know, some people might want to make a big deal out of it. So we'll talk about it. Zainab, we have the the number seven is Zainab bin Tijash. Now, before Islam, our Prophet adopted someone by the name of Zayd ibn Haritha. This is a very famous story. And he used to be actually called Zayd ibn, uh, ibn, uh, ibn Muhammad because of the Prophet adopted him. So he changed his, his last name. That was before Islam. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed, Call children by their biological father's names. So actually he went back from Zayd ibn Muhammad back to Zayd ibn Haritha uh, again. Uh, and this is actually known thing in Islam. You know, uh, and actually, that puts the the wives who take the the last name of their husbands. They actually should be still called by their last names if they were Muslims, because of that verse. <clears throat> now, our Prophet ﷺ, you know, proposed uh, on behalf of 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 Zaid. He wanted him to marry his cousin Zainab. So Zainab bin Tijash was the cousin of the Prophet ﷺ. So he proposed on her on her on his behalf to her, and she was not actually happy with with the proposal. She did not like Zaid. You know, she was not convinced. She felt like she could have done better. Technically, they were both believers. They're both incredible Muslims, but they did just they didn't like. They didn't have this connection, right? Uh, nonetheless, eventually, you know, by you know talking to them and whatever, and Allah Subhanahu wa Taala is basically revealing that you know you shouldn't uh, refuse the offer of the Prophet when it comes to certain things. So uh, she eventually married uh, uh, married. Uh, Zaid, and the marriage was not a happy one. It was not a perfect marriage. They always fought. 
she had a sharp tongue he couldn't take it anymore and they they both they technically uh, couldn't live with each other anymore so they had certain big problems in their marriage now zaid wanted to divorce her but then our prophet sallam asked him not to actually it's mentioned in the quran وَإِذْ تَقُولُ لِلَّذِي أَنْعَمَ اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَأَنْعَمْتُ عَلَيْهِ أَمْسَكَ عَلَيْكَ زَوْجُكَ وَاتَّقِ اللَّهِ So the Prophet ﷺ is basically telling, is mentioned in the Qur'an, telling Zayd, keep your wife, don't divorce her. Keep Zainab, do not divorce her. And fear Allah. Don't do anything, you know, irrational, basically. Fear Allah and your wife. Now, here is the interesting part. Now, let's go to the, let's come to the, Interesting and quote unquote controversial part of this of this marriage, which is that what comes after what I just said in the verses. So Allah saying, What does that mean? Allah saying, this is what Allah saying. You keep telling Zaid, him, meaning Zaid, to hold on to his wife and to fear Allah while you are hiding in your heart what Allah will reveal to people. You hid it, whatever you're hiding, you hid it because you feared what people would say, but Allah is the one you should be fearing the most. This is literally what the verse says. Now, there's a lot of question marks here. And the biggest question is, what is it that the Prophet ﷺ was hiding in his heart? Allah will show people what you're hiding. Now, Allah is not, um, is slightly rebuking the Prophet ﷺ. It's not, it's not, it's Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is not saying to the Prophet, he's going to expose them, or, uh, he's going to expose them or anything like that. He's just saying that Allah will show people what you're hiding because it's halal right it's something that's okay there's nothing wrong with it and you should be more fearing Allah than fearing what people would say now here comes right after these verses another verse that says and actually it's the, the same verse فَلَمَّا قَدَى زَيْدٌ مِّنْهَا وَطَرَى زَوَّجْنَاكَ هَا لَكَيْ لَا يَكُونُ عَلَى الْمُؤْمِنِينَ حَرَجٍ فِي أَزْوَاجِ أَدَيَئِهِمْ So let me tell you this. Allah saying, look, this is the rest of the verse. This is, by the way, the chapter of Ahzab, verse number 37. Remember that. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says what? After he says, You're, you should be fearing Allah more than, you know, fearing what people would say. So when Zayd, Allah mentions, by the way, the only companion mentioned by name in the Quran is Zayd, in this verse right there. Such an honor to Zayd. The only companion, even Abu Bakr is mentioned by, you know, Sahibuhu, his friend. He, he's referenced in the Quran, but never mentioned by name. The only, another trivia question, well, who is the only companion mentioned by name in the Quran? It is Zayd ibn Haritha. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, فَلَمَّا قَدَى زَيْدٌ مِّنْهَا when, so when Zayd divorces her, she shall be your wife. Now, what this, what is, what's the meaning of this? Well, the obvious meaning is that our Prophet ﷺ hit something in his heart, which he did not want to reveal to people. 
you know, and he felt something towards Zainab, obviously. Now, no more details were mentioned. That's all what we know. That's all what we know in terms of authentic interpretation. Something was hidden in the heart of in the heart of the Prophet ﷺ, most likely towards Zainab, right? And that's all we know. And he did not want to reveal it to people. And by the way, people said, if the Prophet ﷺ, Aisha is one of the people who said, if the Prophet ﷺ were ever would have ever hidden any verse in the Quran, it would have been this verse. Because how Allah is addressing the Prophet and telling him like you're hiding something and you're hiding it and you're afraid of people but you should be fearing me. The whole verse is is is, is embarrassing for the Prophet but of, that shows you that even that verse that he was being rebuked in it, it was revealed and the Prophet couldn't. He would never do it on his own but also Allah wouldn't allow it to be hidden from you know us. Now, back to the point. There are two opinions Two major opinions about the meaning of this verse. But there are only opinions. Again, there is no authentic uh, interpretation. There is no situation that happened that confirms either or uh, either of the opinions. But let's uh, talk about the two opinions. The first opinion is, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed to our Prophet ﷺ that he shall marry Zainab. But our Prophet ﷺ feared what would people say if he married his uh, adopted son's wife Now that makes it By the way It's halal It's 100% permissible To marry your adopted son But you're not Allowed In Islam To marry your biological son's wife Even if he divorces her Or if he dies Do you understand that? This is a very uh, You know if, if your son Is married to someone You cannot marry her At any point in time It's done Same thing for the mother-in-law you know, if, if your son as a mother, if your daughter as a mother marries someone, you cannot at any certain point in time marry her husband even if she dies. The Only the biological, you know, sons and daughters. But adoption, because they're not blood sons, they're not blood daughters, it's totally allowed, right? So this is just a little bit of a tangent when it comes to this ruling. So the Prophet is, is, is again, he Allah revealed to him, this is the, the first opinion, Allah revealed to him that, he shall marry Zainab, like he revealed to him that he shall marry Aisha, like he revealed to him that he cannot divorce Hafsa. He revealed to him that he shall marry Zainab. And he knew this, and he couldn't tell Zaid, of course. <laughs> how, how could he? And he couldn't uh, 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 tell the people because they would say, oh, look at him marrying his uh, son, uh, adopted son's wife. Even though life was impossible between Zaid and Zainab and the Prophet had nothing to do with it. It was like, you know, it's not like anything happened. They could not live with each other. Still, the Prophet felt that he was ashamed of that. That's the first opinion. The second opinion is that the Prophet wanted to marry Zainab. For any reason, he liked her. And he did not want to stop Zaid from divorcing her. But then he, because of his perfection in terms of mannerisms, he told Zaid to never divorce her, to keep her, and to fear Allah in her. And that's the second opinion. Now, these are the only two opinions. One of them, you know, some people have a problem with the second opinion. How could the Prophet you know, like someone else's wife? You know, if that was the case, we don't know which opinion is it. Liking someone is not haram. Acting upon it is. You have to understand that. As you know, do you understand? I could, mar- I could like whoever I want. There's, there's nothing sinful, there's nothing bad, because who controls the hearts? 
Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. There's nothing sinful about liking someone. What's sinful, what could be sinful, is how do I act upon it? So the Prophet out of his perfection, even if he liked Zainab, he did not want to show it, and he kept it to himself. And that's it. He moved on, but Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala did not want this to happen. Had other plans. And the first option is that Allah revealed to him, and there's nothing wrong with that. So I don't think there's any controversy when it comes to that uh, whatsoever. Now, uh, 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 you know, um, Zainab, now they, they actually, uh, uh, the Prophet ﷺ, you know, proposed to her, and she accepted uh, the marriage of the Prophet. ﷺ. Here's the interesting part about this marriage the contract was written in the Quran. What did Allah say? Zawajnaka she shall be your wife. That's the contract. They did not re- need to write a marriage contract. It's written in the Quran. And she actually used to brag to the other wives. And it shows you how happy she was by marrying the Prophet. Isn't that incredible? That, you know, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, uh, uh, you know, she used to brag. She said, Allah wrote my contract, my marriage contract in the Quran. And you guys recite it to, you know, every day. Such an honor for Zainab. Also, uh, Zainab was up there in terms of the status of Aisha and Hafsa. Uh, Aisha, radiallahu anha, she used to say that Zainab was her main competition. And actually, uh, what's interesting also, in the night of the wedding between the Prophet ﷺ, the wedding of the Prophet ﷺ and Zainab, the verses for hijab, for wearing hijab, was revealed for the first time in the Quran. On the night of, of the marriage, right? Now, even though, uh, or Zainab was Aisha's main competition, Aisha always praised the righteousness and the piousness of Zainab. Like in one narration, she says, I've never seen a woman who is more righteous than Zainab. It shows you the relationship between the wives, by the way. You know, and it shows you that the level of faith between in, in all the wives. And she was known to be the most generous in terms of charity among all the wives. That's Zainab, right? One time, and he's a very interesting story. One time, all the wives were debating who would die first, you know, uh, after the Prophet said, Oh, I think you you might die first. Oh, you might. It was just a, you know, a little conversation. So the Prophet actually heard the conversation. So he said, and then again, it shows you that they all sit together and they talk. They had conversations, they had, you know, discussions and so forth. So the Prophet when he hears, when he hears what, what they're saying, he literally says, the one with the longest hand shall be the first one to die after me. Shall be the first one to meet me. And then after the death of the Prophet they didn't understand what that mean, what that meant. So after the death of the Prophet they actually lined up. They started measuring each other's hands. The only thing who had the taller hand. It was very funny, you know. And then Zainab ended up being the first wife to die after the Prophet And they now they understood. The Prophet was a metaphor. The longest hand mean meant the most generous in terms of giving and spending money. So it's a metaphor. The longest hand mean the hand that always spends and reaches out, you know, all the poor people. And that was a very interesting uh, story about Zainab. And that was the marriage of Zainab. Now, this is number seven, wife number seven. Number eight is Juwayriya bint al-Harith. Now, Juwayriya uh, has a, a, a very interesting story. And again, a lot of people, whoever want to attack, I know this this episode is pretty long, but I want to finish all the wives in one uh, in one episode. 
so Juwayriya was the daughter of the leader of the tribe called the Mustaliq. It was a tribe that was, uh, 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 they were enemies of the Muslims and the Prophet and they were about to attack. They helped the people of Quraysh so many times to against the Muslims and they were about to attack the Muslims. The Prophet found out that they were about to attack them so he surprised attacked them and uh, they captured the people of the tribes you know, as prisoners of war. Now, she was one of them. Right, and after you know there was a battle going on, and they captured them and all these things. But she was used to a certain lifestyle. She's the daughter of the chieftain. She's the daughter of the leader of the tribe. She cannot be a prisoner, right? And a lot of people were saying that she was a slave because she's a prisoner of war. She was treated as a slave. Now, I want to point this out. This is not the topic for today, but being a slave in Islam is totally different from slavery that we know. Like, for example, with the African Americans, the black people who came from Africa, and all these things. Slavery in Islam was completely different. It was more dignifying. It was basically someone that, yes, you owned with money, right? But the treatment of a slave was completely 180 degrees different from the treatment of a slave that we know in modern time or, you know, back in the day. These two were totally different. So when I say slavery in Islam, don't think automatically slavery that we know of from the movies from the history in america and all these things it was completely different now uh, whether she was a slave or, or a prisoner of war it really doesn't matter but she wanted to buy her freedom as a prisoner of war or as a as a slave right by the way in islam it was always encouraged to free slaves islam didn't come and forbid slavery because again like i said slavery was totally different from what we know the brutality of, of slavery that we know of in you know relatively modern days compared to Islam, is nothing like the slavery in Islam. Islam did not put a, a very solid uh, ruling, and this is something we all need to know, against slavery, of course, unless slavery was being, you know, there is unethical, and, and they were treating like all the slaveries we actually know about from, you know, again, like modern times. But my point is, Islam always encouraged freeing slaves. Encourage always is freeing slaves. Now, let's go back to the point. So Juwairiya, uh, you know, wanted to buy her freedom. So she started taking money from certain people that she knew. And then she went to her owner and she said, I'm going to get more money. But I, I you know, uh, I'm going to get more money. But, you know, I want to know that you're going to free me after I get my money. And he said, of course, her owner was a Muslim. Again, owner, the one who captured her. It really, again, we don't know the mix. It doesn't really matter. That was my point. Though, so... In her journey, again, that took a long time to collect money and you know work for the money and again in halal stuff in a halal way, right? Uh, she became a Muslim actually. She converted to Islam because she learned a lot from the Muslims. So she was convinced with Islam. She became a Muslim. So afterwards, she went and she was like, okay, you know what? Who's going to help me? The Prophet So she went to Aisha. And Aisha actually reports something very interesting. She said that as soon as Aisha opened the door, and she found Juwairiya, she felt right away that she was jealous. She felt instant jealousy because how beautiful Juwairiya was and you know how uh, outspoken she was. So Aisha felt something. She hated, actually this is mentioned literally, she hated the fact that she saw Juwairiya that day. And she was worried that the Prophet would marry her. So she goes to the Prophet and she tells him, hey, I need your help, blah, 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 and all these things. Then the Prophet gives her a choice. He says, 
okay, I can pay the rest of the money and you could go free, do whatever you want. You're a Muslim now, so you can, you know, do whatever you want. Or you could marry me and, you know, it will, uh, you know, you will, again, be free, of course. And when we marry, when we're married, you know, uh, this will be good for everyone, basically. So the choice is up to you. I'll help you either way. You want to marry me? Great. You don't want to marry me? I'll pay the money. He gave her the choice. And guess what do you think she chose? To be the wife of the best human being ever? Right away. It is reported that right away she accepted the proposal of marriage. Right away. She accepted the proposal of marrying the Prophet ﷺ. And one of the wisdoms of marrying her was to bring peace between the two tribes. Remember we said I was going to mention uh, uh, examples of political and social Reasoning for marrying more than one, that's one of them, right? Because guess what? All of her tribe, now all of her tribe were captured, right? They all were freed because of that marriage. And they're all converted to Islam willingly because of that marriage. And she was known to be, uh, later on she was known to be the one who does a lot of dhikr, remembering of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. She used to pray and after praying, she used to sit down for hours saying subhanallah subhanallah alhamdulillah all thanks be to allah she was known to be and subhanallah from and by the way her story there's something interesting about her story she hated muslims before you know muslims came and you know fought her tribe why did she hate muslims because of how her father uh, drew a picture of the muslims in front of her he painted the muslims as savages does it ring any bells terrorists quote unquote right and it shows you that people, once they are truly exposed to Islam, they know the true nature of Islam. Forget about the media. Forget about what you hear from, you know, Islamophobes. See it for yourself. And that's exactly what happened. She got, she became a Muslim before marrying the Prophet It's not like she married him and she became a Muslim. No. She became a Muslim before she married the Prophet Number nine is Ummu Habiba. Ramla bint Abu Sufyan. She is the daughter of Abu Sufyan, who was not Muslim at the time, and who uh, was, uh, you know, in charge of the caravan before the battle of Badr. The, that the, the strategic mastermind that was Abu Sufyan, and you know he hated the Prophet at the time before he became a Muslim. So her husband was a, was a Christian, you know, before Islam, and he left uh, Islam. And what what is said is and this is kind of weak hadith we don't know if this is authentic or not but they went to a place called abyssinia which is a christian land but the leader of the land secretly converted to islam you know and najashi his name was an najashi he was you know a famous uh, a famous uh, uh, leader a christian leader who became a muslim and najashi in uh, in in abyssinia but what was known about him that he was alcoholic now the report says that he converted back to christianity so he, he stopped being a Muslim. Now him and his wife, they are in Abyssinia, in a Christian land. So it is reported that he could have re- converted. Even uh, uh, Umm Habiba herself, Ramla, uh, Ramla herself, could not confirm that he became Christian. Otherwise, she would have left him. Because we know that Muslim women cannot be with non-Muslim men. If your husband becomes a non-Muslim, instantly you leave. He's not halal, he's not, this marriage is not valid in the sight of Allah. You leave right away. There's no process here. You know, so she didn't leave him. She was with him until he passed away. And it is said that he used to be a drinker. He could be a Muslim and be a drinker. It's a major sin. But still, that doesn't take him out of the fold of Islam. And he died 
like his, his, his condition became worse and he became an alcoholic and all these things, right? Now, when she, and so again, we don't know for a fact if he went back to Christianity or not, right? And, and if he did, people say it's because he couldn't handle all the laws. And this happens to a lot of people, even Muslims. They can't handle praying five times a day, fasting in Ramadan. These things seem to be, and it always hits those with weak faith, weak hearts. They always see these things are too much to do. Now, she became a widow in a Christian land, in, in a non-Muslim land. So the Prophet felt bad for her. So he wanted to protect her. And she proposed. She was very happy. She actually accepted the uh, the proposal of the Prophet and you know she came to him and then the wisdom of marrying Umm Habiba was that number one she was a, a widow Muslim in a foreign land so the Prophet, so the Prophet felt bad for her and she he needed to support her and give her dignity also she was the daughter of Abu Sufyan look at the strategic angle now at the time he was the enemy of the Prophet so if if he marries his daughter that brings more of a peace between them. Your daughter is my wife. You know, so that brings more peace between them. So that's number nine. Number 10 is Safiya bint Huyay. Now, Safiya bint Huyay has a very short story. She was uh, a Jewish from the tribes that betrayed the Prophet. She herself didn't betray the Prophet, but she was from those tribes that conspired against the Muslims and tried to assassinate. We're going to get to that when we talk about the Jewish tribes and how the Prophet dealt with them. After the Battle of Khaybar, which is a very famous battle that we're going to get to, she was one of those who were captured. And in the battle, she lost all of her family members. They were killed in a battle. So the Prophet felt bad for her, so he gave her the choice. Become a Muslim. If you become a Muslim, I will, because she was Jewish, right? I will marry you and give you honor and dignity and treat you like the rest of my wives. But if you want to stay as a, you know, a Jewish person, then I will release you and you can go on with your life. Two great choices for someone who's captured in as a prisoner of war. And of course, what do you think she chose? Right away, she chose Islam. She chose the Prophet ﷺ, and she became one of you know our mothers. Number 11, which is the final one, the last one is Maymuna uh, bint al-Harith. Maymuna bint al-Harith is uh, someone that we don't have a lot about. You know, Maimuna bint al-Harith was, uh, uh, was a famous wife of the Prophet ﷺ. Again, we said he had 11 wives. Maimuna was the last one that he married. What we know about Maimuna is that her sister was married to Al-Abbas, the uncle of the Prophet ﷺ. And Al-Abbas actually is the one who proposed the idea to the Prophet ﷺ to marry Maimuna. He said that Maimuna, you know, she's from Quraysh. If you marry her, uh, you know, you're going to be... Uh, you know, getting the tides closer and, you know, getting the relationships closer. And that's exactly what happened. The Prophet ﷺ married Maimuna. Uh, again, uh, uh, after the Prophet ﷺ, you know, uh, was proposed to the idea by his uncle Al-Abbas. And she was the actually the aunt of uh, Khalid ibn al-Walid. And uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, uh, you know, blessed her by, you know, marrying the Prophet ﷺ. And she basically marks the final, the last wife of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And yeah, so that's basically, again, um, that's what we were able to collect that was relevant to us from, you know, uh, the wives of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And like I said, uh, we addressed, hopefully we addressed all the controversies, hopefully, hopefully it made sense. Uh, again, we do not decree what's right and what's wrong. 
It's Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala who does. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us what's permissible and what's impermissible. What's allowed and what's not allowed. This all comes from Allah. It does not come from us. And thank you so much for listening. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.